so the Bible reading on the red Bible with the frame around it, if you've got that one, it's page 916. And the other red Bible with just Holy Bible on the front is page 647. So 647 with the plain uh, red Bible cover and the other one with the frame on it, 916. We're reading from the first and second chapters of Amos and I'm looking forward to hearing about Amos because it's not an easy book. One of the things I found when I was reading this through is that uh, there are seven judgments that I'm reading about and so each time I read the sentence that says this is what the Lord says we're starting on a new judgment for a people group. So um, that makes it a lot easier to understand. So the judgments then are from the Lord through Amos the prophet and they are um, judgments on Israel's neighbours and then at the, the last two is Israel and Judah. So I'm reading from verse 1. In the first chapter of Amos, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Isaiah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord said. So there's the first judgment there coming. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Uh, that's the Lord speaking. Because she threshed Gilead with fledges having iron teeth, I will send fire on the house of Hazel. And that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. It will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the kings of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the Sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. This is what the Lord says. That's verse 11. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not relent, 
because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire on Teman that will consume the fortresses of Bozrah. Verse 13. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent. Because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders, I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, he and his officials together, says the Lord. Chapter 2. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent, because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. I will set fire on Moab, that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult, amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him says the Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. And judgment on Israel, verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God. They drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel? declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground, the fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us your word, uh, your words which speak so clearly of our world and of our lives and our relationship with you. Father, we pray that as we consider this uh, word from the prophet Amos uh, this morning, that uh, you would grant us uh, insight and clarity of mind, understanding, uh, that we would be people who live with Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. How do you feel when somebody else uh, is being exposed for the wrong things that they have done and are being punished for that? Sometimes it's with mixed feelings, isn't it? Because uh, we feel sad about what they did, but uh, we can be glad that justice is being served. I feel that often, don't you? But are there times when we actually enjoy the experience? Uh, we enjoy the experience of someone's wrongdoing being exposed. We enjoy the experience of seeing them being punished. Uh, not out of a sense of justice, but out of a sense of superiority, that we're better than them. I think it's what makes gossip so juicy, isn't it? Uh, we don't mind uh, hearing about someone else's faults and their wrongdoing because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And it's like in the Old Testament, um, when the prophet Nathan uh, took King David aside on one occasion and he told him a story about a rich man who stole from a poor man. Do you remember that story? And David was absolutely outraged when he heard the story and he wanted the man executed until the prophet declared with devastating effect to David, that man is you, is you. Because he knew how David had stolen a poor man's wife and then had that man killed. Nathan set David up to incriminate himself. Now today as we start a new series on the book of Amos, uh, we'll see that same kind of tactic being applied, uh, not just to one person but to an entire nation. But before we come to that, I think uh, that some of the backstory to Amos might be helpful, isn't it? Because it is a very small book, it's uh, tucked away in the Old Testament, a little bit obscure, you may not have read the book of Amos lately. And so I think it's good for us to hear a little bit about the background to, um, uh, as to what brought this book about. And we don't need to go very far in order to find the background for uh, Amos. In fact, no further than the first two verses. Can I get you to open up your Bibles at Amos chapter 1? And I'm going to read the first couple of verses for you, uh, where um, it says, The words of Amos, uh, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Well, there's a, um, there's a lot in those couple of verses that we could mine um, for information on Amos. First of all, what's the first thing we learn about Amos apart from his name? We learn about his, his job. Uh, he was an ordinary working class man. He was a, uh, he was a, he was a shepherd. Uh, he wasn't one of the uh, highfalutin uh, 
religious leaders of, uh, of his time. He was just a blue-collar kind of guy, a shepherd. And he lived in a place called Tekoa, which still exists today. Uh, it's a Palestinian town. It's about 12 kilometres uh, southeast of Bethlehem. And what that means is that Amos belonged to the southern kingdom of Judah. You see, about 200 years or so earlier, uh, Israel had split into two um, distinct kingdoms. Uh, there was a northern kingdom, and that kingdom kept the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, from where we get the term Jew. And, of course, with two different kingdoms, uh, you also have two different kings. And in Amos's day, uh, King Uzziah was the guy who ruled Judah, and King Jeroboam, that's Jeroboam II, he ruled Israel. Now, that's uh, actually very valuable information for us because it gives us a good idea as to when in history uh, Amos preached. Um, because both of those kings uh, were ruling in the first half of the 8th century BC. So think, you know, somewhere between 800 BC and about 750 BC. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, in fact, we would know... Um, more precisely when Amos preached, we would actually know exactly when Amos preached if we knew the date of a significant earthquake, which we don't know the date of. However, what we do know is that Amos preached this message of judgment and then two years later, we're told in verse 1, the earth shook, the earthquake, the big earthquake that everyone at the time that this was written knew about. Now, it's not hard to see the connection between that event of the earthquake and what follows in verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. What's the picture here? It's a picture of devastation, isn't it? But there's also a picture here of God, of what God is like. And God is portrayed here as being like a, a roaring lion or like a thundering storm. What does that tell us about God? We well, see, Israel had its king. Judah had its king. All of the other nations, they had their kings. But there is one king. There is God. There is God whose temple is in Jerusalem. There is God who is the one who controls and who judges the world. Now, Amos has a lot to say about judgment. And he doesn't waste any time. Because in these first two chapters, uh, God pronounces judgment on eight specific nations. And he does so in rapid fire and he does so using the same formula of words each time. Now let me show you uh, the first example of that uh, in verse 3, first part of verse 3. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. 
and then uh, God exposes the precise sin that's been committed, in this case by Damascus, and then the punishment. That's the same form of words uh, for eight different nations. But what does he mean? I mean, it's, uh, it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it, when he says, uh, for three sins, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. What does that mean? I mean, normally we'd say, uh, well, you know, if there was three sins, um, even four, I'll still forgive them. But that's not what it says. Uh, this is basically a kind of a Hebrew way of saying that their sin is complete. You know, it's like if someone said, if someone did three sins, maybe I might forgive them, but four sins, well, no, uh, they, the time for, I've been patient, but now the time for repentance is over, they will be punished. It's the completeness of their sin that it's referring to. So um, let's check out some of these nations and the sins that they committed. First up is Damascus in verses 3 to 5. Why are they being judged? Let me read it. Uh, verse 3, they, Damascus is being judged because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Uh, friends, this is, this is called war crimes. Um, Damascus had uh, waged war in the region of Israel, which is called Gilead, and they, they not only you know, killed the army, but they were brutal in what they did to the people. They made the people of Gilead just like the dust on the ground after the wheat has been threshed. It's war crimes. And so what will God do? Well, he will destroy their leadership, he will destroy their fortresses, and he's going to send their people into exile. That's justice. The second place is Gaza. What did they do? Verse 6. Gaza, well, she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. What's that called? Slave trading, for which they'll be punished. Uh, thirdly, there is the city of Tyre, and Tyre uh, is in modern-day Lebanon. Their sin? Well, in verse 9, they too were slave traders, but also they broke a treaty, presumably a treaty with the one, with the nation whom they sold into, the people whom they sold into slavery. Uh, fourthly, in verse 11, is the nation of Edom. Now, um, what do we know about the Edomites? Well, they were the descendants of Esau, um, weren't they? Esau, and whose brother was Jacob, who became Israel. Um, Esau, whose father was Isaac. Uh, they were the descendants of, um, of Esau. And uh, the, the, um, they, they, they were the ones who purchased the slaves, uh, so that's a problem. But the sin which is actually mentioned uh, is their hostility, their ongoing hostility historically towards God's people, uh, the descendants of Esau's brother, Jacob. Now, fifthly, there is Ammon. And it's worth reading this one. Uh, take a look at verse 13. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of, of Edom, even for four, 
I will not turn back my wrath. Because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Now, what's that? That's war crimes, isn't it? That's um, crimes against humanity. That's murdering the unborn. Um, and the purpose? Well, the purpose was to eliminate the next generation so as to consolidate the, the land that they'd taken. Would we want justice? Absolutely. Uh, sixthly, in, verse, in chapter 2 now, um, verse 1, God's wrath would be poured out on Moab. Uh, it seems that in a war, the Moabites uh, not only killed the king of the Edomites, but publicly burnt his body to dust. Um, this is not, you know, something against cremating bodies. This was about public desecration of a human body. Now, my guess is that the Edomite king uh, was not, you know, was not a lovely person. But there's something about being made in the image of God which means that we give people dignity when they die, don't we? We all do that. And I think that people still, still do that even today, don't they? I mean, sometimes there are people who die and they, they die without any money and they die without anyone who loves them enough to bother to turn up at their burial. And so at their burial, uh, it's just the funeral directors, you know, lowering them into an unmarked grave, a hole in the ground. I remember an older minister once uh, said to me that whenever he hears that that is going to happen for someone, that in his area, that he always tries to, to turn up and to uh, give the person the, the dignity of a proper burial service, read the Bible, pray, say the Lord's Prayer and so on. Because we're not just flesh and bone, are we? Uh, we, we, we are all made in God's image, no matter who we are, no matter how we've lived. And so, friends, the lion has roared. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon and Moab will all be judged by God. But what else do they, these nations all have in common? None of them is Israel or Judah. They're all Gentile nations. They're all nations uh, to whom God has not given them his law. He's not revealed himself to them in that way. And so we might ask, want to ask the question, well then, why should they be judged? And the reason for that is that because as human beings, God has given us all a conscience. And uh, as Paul remarks in Romans, that uh, very often people who are without God's word do that which by nature is actually what God's word says. Because all people uh, still bear the marks of being made in the image of God and are accountable to him. I mean, nobody needs to have the Bible in order to know that ripping open the wombs of pregnant women in order to kill their unborn babies is wrong. 
We all know it's wrong, don't we? Our conscience tells us that it's wrong. I mean, sure, in the moment of annexing a nation, they might suppress that truth, but they suppress the truth because they prefer sin. It's no excuse. We're all accountable to the one God who rules the world. But when we do have God's word, there is even less excuse. And so Amos now turns the torch on his own nation, Judah. Let's pick it up at chapter 2, verse 4. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by the false gods, the gods of their ancestors followed. See, the Gentile nations, they didn't have God's law, but Judah did. They had God's law, and guess what? They didn't want it. They rejected it, because they preferred their false gods, their false idols, those uh, idols, those gods who they could control, rather than be controlled by. Now, Amos, um, as we've seen, he lived in Judah. He was a shepherd in a place called Tekoa. But that's not where he preached. He actually didn't preach this in Judah. Uh, we're told later on that he'd actually gone up to, um, up to the city of Bethel. And Bethel is not in the southern kingdom where he lived. Bethel was in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And so I want you to try to imagine the people of Israel that they're standing around, they're listening to Amos preach. Amos preaches this message of judgment against the other nations. And how are they going to be feeling about that? God is going to punish Damascus. Fantastic. And Gaza and the city of Tyre. Well, it's about time. And Edom and Ammon and Moab, they're not going to escape. Terrific. And Judah will also suffer. Well, they deserve it. But why is Amos telling Israel about God's judgment on other nations? Why is he doing that? I mean, why is it their business? Why do they need to hear about the judgment that's going to take place on Tyre? And Well... He's caught their attention, hasn't he, about the judgment. And like Nathan and King David, he's setting them up. See, um, Damascus and Gaza and Tyre, they were not related to Israel, except by geography. Whereas Edom and Ammon... And uh, Moab, well, they were actually like cousins descended from Esau and descended from Lot. And then Judah, well, they're actually brothers. You see what's going on here? Amos is going from those who are unrelated to those who are vaguely related to those who are really closely related 
and he's tightening the noose around Israel's neck. Chapter 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord says for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And their sin, well, that's the, you know, the good news here, folks, is the whole of the rest of the book of Amos is about their sin. It's a book about sin and judgment. But here he mentions just some of their sin. Um, Verse 6 of chapter 2, second part of it. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as dust upon the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl. Possibly this is a reference to um, temple prostitution in their worship. And so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. That's devastating, isn't it? It's not talking about one of the pagan nations, it's talking about God's people. And so materialism, oppression, false worship, and sexual immorality has replaced the the holy name of God. They might as well be Moabites and Ammonites. They might as well be Gentiles. But how do God's people get themselves into such a state? Uh, Indeed, we might ask the question, how do churches become corrupt? Because over the centuries and in our own day, uh, there are some churches, entire denominations that have become known for their materialism, their great wealth. They've become known for oppression, squeezing money out of people who can ill afford it. And they've become known for tolerating sexual immorality even of such a nature that the world finds repugnant, criminal even. How does this happen? Well, it tends to happen, it's a complex question, isn't it? But here's a thought on it. That uh, one thing I've observed is that it tends to happen when uh, we keep a form of religion Israel had a form of religion. They had their their shrines that they'd set up. They had their own priests and so on. It tends to happen when we we keep a form of religion which makes us feel spiritual but without the gospel and without the word of God. That's how it happened to Israel. And uh, if you care to look at uh, chapter 2 in verses 9 through to 12, this is the point that's made here where God says to Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt. What's he saying there? He's saying, I saved you. You were in bondage. You were in slavery in Egypt and I actually rescued you. 
and I brought you through the desert. I guided you for 40 years. I brought you into the promised land. And he says to them there, I I raised up for you Nazarites. These were uh, men who were to be an example of godliness. And I I gave you prophets to give you my word, but you told them to shut up. You told them to shut their mouths. Doesn't sound like there's a great future in store for Amos here, does it? But that's how it happens. In a few minutes, we're going to be sharing the, the Lord's Supper together. And you know, many years ago, some of us here may still remember the time, I certainly remember it, that uh, when we had the Lord's Supper here, which we do every three months on the first Sunday of the quarter starting in March, Many years ago, when we would have the Lord's Supper here, there would, be, there would be lots of people who would turn up for the service who I didn't know. We'd be overflowing. Huge congregation on that Sunday. And they'd come just to get the bread and the wine. And as they'd leave, they'll say to me, I'll see you again in three months' time. Or they may not have said that, but that's actually what happened. But why do we share the Lord's Supper? Well, it's so that we continue to remember, isn't it? That we don't become like Israel who forgot that God had actually rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. That we are people who keep on remembering that God has rescued us. Not out of Egypt, but God has rescued us from our sin by Jesus the Passover lamb dying on the cross to suffer the judgment that we deserve but he paid for it himself and why did he do that so that we can be forgiven so that we can be the true people of God the true Israel and of course to remember Jesus only once every three months, well, that's, that's false religion, isn't it? That's a form of religion without the reality of the gospel. And God has given us his word so that we can read it, so that we can hear it being taught, so that it can shape our lives every day, day after day. what about you? Do you sometimes feel yourself um, or find yourself starting to feel a little bit self-righteous? You know, when you hear about the sins of others and what they've done wrong, when you hear that juicy bit bit of gossip, um, do you sometimes enjoy seeing other people being exposed and subject to humiliation, judgment? I know I do. My problem, though, is that when I'm doing it, I can't necessarily see myself doing it. (laughs) I'm a bit blind to it. That's why it's good to have an honest wife and some pretty open kids around to uh, point that out to me. But we need to be careful, don't we? It's helpful for us to remember that the only reason that Jesus had to die was because of my sin. And to allow that truth, that great truth of the gospel, 
to shape our lives. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this word of judgment. Uh, not that we revel, uh, not that we want to and should revel in seeing uh, judgment being poured out on others, but as a reminder to ourselves of our own unworthiness. Father, we are um, sorry for the sins which we commit. We're sorry for our heart that seeks our own pleasure our own, and our own good at the expense of honouring you. But we want to thank you that the judgment has been taken by Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that um, the great news of the gospel would be at the very heart, the very core of who we are. Help us not to be like Israel, who swapped um, your salvation for a form of religion, but help us to be those who truly trust in Christ and live grateful lives of obedience to you so that your name is not profaned by us, but that your name is exalted and honoured and that we would be not like the rest of the world as Israel was, but a light to the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.